interesting thing happened, which Siddhis tells us that the the Kayak of Siddhis Nafesh in every Yid is Ma'erer, the Pintel Yid. It was Saul Lepoil that Yidin who were living in comfort, in security, in first world countries, in America, Canada, and England, they started to get on planes and fly to Eretz Yisrael during that extremely dangerous time where everybody was, they knew that they were on the, the, on the brink of war. And then a miracle happened, as we all know, and uh, the war was over in six days, and we were victorious. They wished to make miracles. And after that happened, these young people from America and Canada and England and forever from wherever else they came from, after the war, they started getting back on planes and flying back home. They left. So Golda Meir was the foreign minister at the time. This was before she became prime minister. And as the foreign minister, it was her duty to address the situation because it deals with foreign nationals. So she made the statement to these young people who came in, they were flying in when the war was heating up, and they were there, they were ready to make Senafish, and then the war was over and they were flying home. So Golda said to them, she said, I don't understand. When it came time of war, you were ready to die with us. But when it came a time of peace, you weren't willing to live with us. And there's a certain truth to that. Dying is easy, relatively. I mean, you only have to do it once, generally. Living takes a much longer time. You know, there's an old joke. Actually, I heard it from a brisket. It's a joke about a brisket in Yerushalayim. And uh, he's walking home from the base medrash late at night in the old city. And he takes a shortcut through the shuk, through the Arab market. And uh, an Arab jumps out with a big long knife. And this brisker, he sees it, he realizes what's about to happen. And with uh, the whole kavona, he says, Boruch Hashem Alekeinu Melech Oilam Asheki Nishtonu B'mitveizu V'tveru Al Kiddush Hashem. And the Arab gets so freaked out, he runs away. And the brisket chases after him and says, No, no, no. So dying is easy. Living, living is difficult. Dying gets a lot of uh, attention. If you die for the cause, a martyr, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's spectacular. That's, uh, people get excited about that. Living, not so much. It's like the difference between Pesach and Shavuos. Everybody knows Pesach. It doesn't matter how irreligious you are. If you're even somewhat affiliated, an American Jew knows it's Pesach. 
He makes a say. He might not wait until after Tzayseh Kechovim. And he might not necessarily have the Kezayis, the, the Shemur Matzah. But trust me when I say, if he knows what night is Pesach, and he has the box of Manashevitz Matzahs, and he has the Maxwell House Haggadah, Pesach is Pesach. Everyone knows Pesach. Now go ask your average non-observant Jew about Shavuos. Who knows Shavuos? Shavuos is like the, the underdog of, of the Jewish calendar. Nobody cares about Shavuos. You have to be very firm to know about Shavuos. What's the difference between Pesach and Shavuos? Pesach, yet we're ready to die! Right? The homeless sit of snappish. They tied up the sheep to the bedpost. And they were ready, they were ready to, 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 to face their oppressors. The whole thing was very dramatic, and there's this adrenaline, there's this rush, there's this chase, and Pare is chasing. Very spectacular. I mean, think about it. If you go to Universal Studios uh, studio tour in, in California, they even have, I don't know, they still have, I remember they, they had the Kriyas Yamsuf ride. Right, where Meshul Rabbeinu Lahavdil looks like Charlton Heston. It's like based on the, the Ten Commandments uh, movie. They have, so, Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is very spectacular. It's, it lends itself to that, you know, that Hollywood feel. It's very, very exciting. There's a lot of action going on. What's Shavuos? Okay. The whole thing with the, 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 the synesthesia and the swapping of the senses and that, yeah. But what was the commitment? See, Pesach, they made a commitment. They were ready to die. They didn't know what's going to happen. That's when Sidus Nefesh, ready to die. Shavuos is we made an agreement how to live. We told the Abish that we were going to let him. We said, Nasser and Ishmael, we don't even know what the, the terms and conditions are going to be. We just clicked on it. And we're going to find out. He's going to tell us how to eat. And he's going to tell us how to do business. He's going to tell us about how to live our personal lives. That's a different kind of Mesidus Nefesh. Not so glorious. Not so uh, exciting. Not giving up your life by dying for something, or being ready to die for something, but giving up your life by agreeing to live for something. That's also the difference between, you know, Pesach, the symbol of Pesach, one of the big symbols of Pesach is blood. Right? We talk about the blood and the Seder, about uh, the Eden were wallowing in their bloods, the Damila, right, the circumcision blood, and the blood of the Korban Pesach. And they took the blood, and they put it on the walls, on the, on, on the doors, they marked the doors so the Amish would pass over the Jewish homes. There's a lot of blood. Shavuos. What's Shavuos? Shavuos is milk. Okay, so there's different connections why milk and Shavuos, like Cholim is a Bigamatria 40, and Meshad Rebbeinu spent 40 days and nights on that Sinai, or they didn't have their Kalim ready, they didn't have kosher Kalim, so they, they ate milk. But there's, there's another reason, a deeper reason, it's like this. When a warrior gives his life out on the battlefield, he dies. And it's this spectacle, and it's this heroism, that's blood. And that's what the Yidin were ready to do on Pesach, to give their blood. Blood is Mesidus Nefesh, ready to die. 
And there was once, uh, one time a Lubavitcher was davening in, a, in, a, in a, what we call a Veltisheshul. And he was davening Barichus. Uh, so the minion had finished already, and he was finishing up. And he said, Aleinu. And when he came to uh, he spit, like the minic, like it says in Hayyemi. So the Ra from the Valta Shishul comes over to him and says to him, You know, what's with the spitting? Why do you got to spit? So the Lubavitcher says to him, Let me explain to you in words that you could understand. He says, You know, there's a Gamora in your voice. It talks about the chalitza, the ceremony that they make. And they don't do the yibum, they do chalitza instead. And there's the shoe, and there's. But there's also a thing where she spits, she has to spit, it's part of the ceremony. And the Gemara asks a question. You know, sometimes Gemara questions are not practical questions, they're more theoretical scenarios for the sake of exploring a concept. So the Gemara asks a question What if it would happen that the woman would spit? She's supposed to spit at that point in the ceremony. Instead of saliva coming out, by the way, I waited until after you finished most of your food before I told you something. Instead of saliva coming out, blood, blood will come out. She spits out blood. So the question is, is it a kosher chalitza or do they have to do it over again? So the Gemara says, no, it's okay, it's kosher because ain't double roik. There's no blood without spit, meaning if blood came out of her mouth, there's got to be at least a trace of saliva in there. So you don't have to do it over again. Ain't double roik. There's no blood without spit. So the chassid says to this rov and this velta shashul, what does it mean, blood? Blood is mesidus nafish. It means ready to die for what you believe in. Ain't gone. You cannot come to the level where you're ready to die for Yiddishkeit, bleed roik, unless you're ready to spit on a Venezuela. Sorry to tell you. And in Taka, there's a value to that. And unfortunately, throughout history, we've seen thousands, millions of our people who were ready to die, and they did die. Al-Kiddush Hashem, they gave up the ultimate sacrifice, blood. But you can't forget, there's another whole paradigm. There's Shavuos. There's agreeing that Hashem gets to tell me how to live my life day to day. That's milk. See, milk is also giving your life. Milk is also the citizenafish. It's just quiet. It's undercover. It's a thankless, very unspectacular job. The soldier who bleeds for his country out on the battlefield, they build him a statue in the park. The mother who gets up hundreds and thousands of times throughout the childhood of her child and nurses that child and gives that child life with the life-giving milk. No one's building any statues, no one's writing any encyclopedia articles, nobody's writing any book reports, nobody knows she did it, nobody cares. Thankless. So what's harder, you tell me? And you see, Mara Hashem, in today's day and age, it's not even a question of which is harder, it's the question of which is being demanded of us. You know, if we look back in history, there was a time when what was demanded, it was the Mesidus Nefesh of blood. And that was the test. 
today that's not the test. Baruch Hashem, today the test is the exact opposite. We have so much comfort and so much luxury and so much everything is, is easy for us. With all that temptation, are we ready to make a commitment to live? To live for Yiddishkeit. The quiet sacrifice that goes unnoticed and unthanked. That's the real Mesidus Nefesh. But, but you see, it's just like Pesach gets a lot more hype than Shavuos. The masculine paradigm, blood, the warrior, Pesach, that's masculine. Shavuos is milk. The mother, that's feminine. So in our world, the feminine presence of the Abishters in Gullus, and part of that means the femininity is discounted and overlooked, and everybody gets excited, rah rah, about the masculine paradigm, about the blood, but nobody gets very uh, excited about the feminine. I mean, I, I, let me explain very well, what I mean. You're talking, let's say, you're trying to get Jews excited, you're trying to get them interested, you're trying to motivate them. If you talk about Holocaust education, which is very important and we have to acknowledge the martyrdom of our people, that gets a lot of reaction and that gets people's emotional uh, buy-in and they feel something almost automatically. When you talk to them about, we're raising money to teach children how to make brachas on food. Not so excited. So that's the blood and that's the milk. Or, or let's say you talk about the safety and security of Jews in Eretz Yisrael. Oh, well that's blood. That's, that's serious business. People get serious about it. But then you say, oh, we want to build a mikveh in our community. Not so exciting. Not so appealing. That's the blood, the milk. That's the world we live in. So, this is, this is what I want to say. When we're educating our children, when we're educating our children, the main thing, the main emphasis is not the blood, it's the milk. Now, how much more so when we're, we're educating our daughters, our precious daughters, who we're raising to be moist and nefesh for Yiddishkeit in a manner of milk, in a manner of giving their lives quietly, unassumingly, making that day-to-day -day commitment, even though there's so many other opportunities and other temptations and distractions. How do we get our daughters to want to be moist and nefesh for Yiddishkeit? Because I want to tell you something. You might think that's a high level. I don't think that's a high level. I think it's basically, that's where we got to start from. If we're not ready to be Moisenefesh, to live for Yiddishkeit, we'll find other things to live for. There's plenty of choices out there. So how do we get our daughters to want to be Moisenefesh for Yiddishkeit? Not in a manner of blood, in a manner of milk. So the first thing I want to tell you is like this. Your Lubavitchers, 
you all understand the most basic concept is ask not what Torah and Yiddishkeit can do for you, but ask what you can do for Torah and Yiddishkeit. You know that. You know that for yourselves. So how can we forget that when we're talking to our daughters? How can we try to sell them Yiddishkeit like it's like going to improve their lives? And we try to sell them like good salespeople how much they need Yiddishkeit. That's what turns you on. Don't tell them how much they need Yiddishkeit. Tell them how much Yiddishkeit needs them. Tell them how much they're needed. And the Torah needs you. And Torah doesn't just need a favor here and there. Torah needs you, all of you. Torah is begging you. Give me all of you. I need you. Now that's something that our daughters can respond to. That's something that's worthy of putting before all the other distractions that are out there in the world. I need it. But we make the mistake, we make the mistake, we think, we think we have to sell them that they need Torah. It's not about they need Torah. Of course, of course, a yid needs Torah, you have to live a life helping Torah. That goes without saying. But what about, what about this whole, I mean, this is, this is the, this is the, 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 the chidush, the, the panemius of Torah, and chassidus really exposes this reciprocal relationship between the Yid and Torah, that the Torah also needs you. So, in other words, what I'm saying is, instead of going after our daughters and saying to them, look, uh, this is very important that you live a firm life. But why? Because if you don't live a firm life, then God forbid you're going to have a meaningless life. It's not going to be a meaningful life. You're going to lose out. That's by the way, it's don't tell that to them because they'll find happy people who are not from, or at least people who are happy now or happy enough or look happy. Don't tell them, listen, if you, got to, you really got to be from. This is for your sake. This is, this is for your life. That, that's, what, that's what turns you on. That's what you get excited about. That's what the Rebbe meant when he called every single year the Shliach. You tell your daughter, Torah desperately needs you, okay? 3,300 some years ago, the Abishter gave us the precious Torah. And he entrusted us with it. And we're counting on you. I'll tell you a story. Stories about a Lubavitcher family that came out of Russia. The name of the family is Sudak. And the father's name is Pinchas. He had three children, Batsheva, Nachman, and Bracha. And they got out of Russia, and they got to Poland. It was very dangerous. They were not legally in the country. They had to get out of Poland. They had to get to Czechoslovakia. That was the goal, to get to Prague. If you get to Czechoslovakia, then you're safe. So they were traveling at night. 
through forests so that they shouldn't be seen. And it was the mother, the father, and these three children. The oldest daughter was a teenager, and the, the boy was just before bar mitzvah, and then there was a young daughter who was about four or five. Real girl. And they would walk all night for hours and hours in the forest. It was so dark. There, were no, there was no light. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. They had a rope. They would just hold the rope and, and wander blindly through the forest. And... Uh, they carried nothing with them, absolutely nothing that would slow them down. Uh, that Pinchas had been a wealthy man in Soviet Russia. He had actually had an underground knitting factory and he was able to accumulate some wealth. He bought diamonds and they sewed the diamonds in the family's shoes. That's all they had as far as material wealth. Now, I should just mention the precursor to the story that when they were passing through Krakow, Poland, he met a Polish Yid who had a safer trader for sale. This is right after the war and the need has a Sefer Torah for sale. The Pinchas decided to buy the Sefer Torah. He was the one with means. He had wealth. So he bought the Sefer Torah. And uh, he decided a group of Eden traveling together should have a Sefer Torah. At one point, the, the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Tzinkana, was part of the, the group. Um, so he bought a Sefer Torah. Now, they're, they're, they're walking through the forest, pitch black in the middle of the night, and mamas were just the clothes on their backs, they have those diamonds sewed in their shoes, and Rabinicus is carrying the secretary in a little box. And the little four or five-year-old daughter, little Bracha, is getting tired. She's a child, she's a little girl, she's walking all night, she's, she's tired. So uh, her mother tries to pick her up and carry her. It's just they're going too slow. The mother doesn't have the strength. And it becomes apparent, really, that a pincus, that the father has to step up and be a father. Big, strong man. He's got to do what men have to do. And he's going to have to pick up his daughter and carry her. And uh, he realizes they have to continue moving quickly. They cannot, they can't carry this safer title. So the Pinchas takes the Sefer Teda, the box in which the Sefer Teda is being held, and he puts it down, and he says, forgive me, Sefer Teda. I put you down now so that I can lift up my daughter, who, with God's help, will grow up to fulfill everything that is written in you. down the Sefer Torah, and he picked up his daughter. He put down the Sefer Torah, and he picked up his daughter. And it wasn't a question for a second. That he had to put down the Sefer Torah and pick up his daughter. Why do we have a dilemma? Why do we question it? Why do we think do we have to force our children for their own good to be thrown? They don't want to hear that. Flip it. Flip the whole thing. Put down the Torah. Pick up your child. Lift. I don't mean chas put down the Torah that we should all go and be fried. That's chas that You know that's not what I'm talking about. If I can't, he told the Torah, this child will grow up and be the kind of everything within you. 
love Torah? Pick up your child, pick up your daughter. It's out there to give Mechala Shabbos to save a Jewish life so that Jew can keep many Shabbos and more. It's not a conflict. We don't have to choose one or the other. If you love Torah, it doesn't mean that you have to love your child any less, or show less love, or be less satisfied with them. To the contrary, pick up this daughter, pick her up. What does that mean, pick her up? You tell her that the Abishter himself is waiting for her, and is watching her, and needs her mitzvah. Lift up your daughter so that she can be Mekayim everything that's in the Torah. Sometimes we're grasping on the Torah to our frumkite and ignoring just the push, the love that our, that our children need for the sake of the Torah, for the sake of the Torah, put down the Torah for a minute. Lift up your daughter. She will grow up to be Mekayim every single word and letter that's in that Torah. For the sake of the Torah. But there's more to the story. The rest of the story is like this. The little girl in the story, her older sister, Macheva, was in Los Angeles about 10, 15 years ago, I think it was. And she was speaking with a shlucha there in LA, in West Hollywood. Um, this is Astulin, Vegi Astulin, who is a garbage. Sheva, who's now Shochat, told the story about her father that Pinchas putting down the Sefer data. And Fagi Yisulin says, oh my goodness, I think I have the other half of your story. My father, Tzemach Gerevich, had a richis yamen. We used to say maybe one schus that he had is that he rescued a lost Sefer Teira. What was the Maise? Ichidur Masmid had a Bechoya, Tzemach. Tzemach had all daughters, seven daughters. No sons, seven daughters. At the time when the Tzemach Gerevich left Rusland, he had four daughters. They were going through that same dark forest. And he had his little girls with him. And one of them wandered off, one of them got lost. And it was pitch dark. Remember, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. So there's no way to find out. And they couldn't call out because they're afraid of drawing attention. So they literally, they started feeling around in the darkness, hoping to bump into her. And as Reb Tzemach is feeling around, groping in the darkness, he bumps into something hard. Doesn't belong in the forest. He picks it up. It's a box. In the box is a Sefer Torah. Took the, the cloth off of that Sechai. They couldn't carry anything. They, lived, they couldn't carry anything. What did they do? His wife took the Sefer Torah and she wrapped it around herself. And they walked through the forest like that. And when they finally got out of Poland, they came to Germany, they came to Poking, to the DP camp there. 
They saw the Jews, they were rebuilding their lives after the Holocaust. The Tzemach saw this makeshift shul where these refugees were davening, and he took the Sefer Torah and he gave it to them. So now we have two lessons from this story. We have Rabbi Pinchas' lesson, and we have Rabbi Tzemach's lesson. Two fathers, both with daughters. I hope this is relatable to dads. I'm assuming we all have daughters and we love them. We also all love Taylor. First lesson from the story is put down the Torah and lift up your daughter for the sake of the Torah. Like Reb Pinchas, who told that Torah, every word of you will be fulfilled through me lifting up my child and raising him. You love Torah? You have Love your daughter. You dance with the Torah, Simchas Torah? Dance with your daughter. I have a friend who I really respect who's older than me. When I was younger and my children were younger, he sort of gave me heads up tips along the way before I would get to certain stages in life. And one of the things he said is if you hug your daughter until she's bas mitzvah, and then her husband hugs her after she's married, who hugs her between bas mitzvah and the chasm? And he told me, you get to pick. You understand that? You get to pick. Hug your daughter. I mean, keep shooting. Hug your daughter. How can you ask her if she said, because I'm Muslim, and you haven't hugged her today? How can you ask her and comment to her about Sneas if you didn't physically hug her and tell you you love her the same way you did when she was three years old and four years old? Put away your film kite for a second and lift up your daughter. The Torah will benefit for the sake of the Torah. That was a lesson for the Pinchas. Second lesson, so the first lesson, the Pinchas teaches us, put down the Torah for a second, lift up your daughter for the sake of the Torah. Then we have Rebbe Tzemach's lesson, go looking for a lost Jewish girl and you will discover the Torah. He was looking for his little daughter, and that's when he found the Torah. And it wasn't even his Torah, because in the end, he didn't keep the Torah, he gave it away. The Hayyim says, Avos Yisrael Shalabal Shemtov, Ein Lehishayim. That the love that the Baal Shem Tov had for Jews is not quantifiable. Omer Harava Magid, the Magid said, Halavai. If we would kiss a Sefer Torah the way the Baal Shem Tov would kiss the school children, the little children that he would bring to Cheder when he was a Baalfin. It doesn't say, Halavai, that we would kiss the Sefer Torah like the Baal Shem Tov kissed the Sefer Torah. It says, Halavai, we would kiss the Sefer Torah like the Baal Shem Tov kissed the little children. 
says in Isaiah, Tlos kishorim miskashin do Three knots are tied to each other. Yisrael arais v'kut shebrichu. Yidin, Torah, and Hashem. I was learning a mimer just the other day. Mimer from this part of Bahar Bukhu Kesai. It was from Tavshim Memchaz. And the Rebbe speaks over there, asks a very simple question. What does the Zayar mean? There are three knots that are connected to each other. The Jews, the Torah, and Hashem. We all know, it's simple, that to connect three things, you only need two knots. If A is connected to B, and B is connected to C, so you have two contact points. A doesn't have to be connected to C. A is to B, B is to C, you have two knots, three things connected. So why does this layer say there are three, three knots? So that explains it like this. You have the normal way, and this is what everybody knows about. That you have the Eivishter, you have the Torah, and you have the Yidin, that's the hierarchy. And our connection to the Eivishter is through Torah. So you need the Torah, you need the Bifrut. And that's that's part of Yiddishkeit. But Panemius of Torah reveals there's, a, there's another relationship going on here. There's a third knot where it loops back around, and Yisrael is connected directly to Hashem. And Torah is lifted up closer to Hashem through the Eden. You have Abbas Torah, you love Yiddishkeit, you want the Jewish people to continue to be a people of Torah. Love your daughter, lift up your daughter, raise her to love the fact that the Torah needs her so very much. Halavai, halavai. Do we kiss the safe potato like we kiss the children? It's like Yem Kippurim, you know, like it says about Yem Kippurim, the Purim is like, the Yem Kippur's like Purim. Halavai, that our Avas Atayna should be like our Avas Yisrael. In other words, if the Avas Yisrael is even greater, the only the, the Avas Atayna only gains itself. Okay, so here's what I want to leave you with. There was a story about a Yid who had a daughter. And uh, she was getting older, and she hadn't, uh, they had a hard time finding a Shidduch for her. So this, this Jew went to the Rebbe, he went to Yechidus, and he, and, he, and he told the Rebbe that he can't find a Shidduch for his daughter. So the Rebbe told him, and, and, and this part of the story I think is sort of common knowledge, a lot of people have heard different versions of this, variations. The Rebbe told this uh, Yid, he asked him, did you ever make a Kiddush for this daughter when she was born? And he thought, he says, no, actually I didn't. So he says, you should make a Kiddush for her, and then she'll, uh, she'll find the ship. So what's the reason for that? I've always heard the explanation. I didn't hear the rest of the story, what the Rebbe told this fellow. But the explanation I always heard and always makes sense is Hakaras Atoyev. The Abishter gives you a daughter, so you, you say thank you. And then the Abishter gives you more good stuff. He helps you find the Shidduch for that daughter. But that's actually not the, uh, the reason that Abba gave. The reason that Abba gave uh, Kimovan uh, is a lot more Gishmak. That Abba said like this When you make a Kiddush, Yidin come to your Kiddush, 
and they give you brachas for the birth of your girl. In those brachas that you get at the Kiddush for your little baby, for your little baby girl, are all the brachas she needs for her life, including when she's, it's going to come time that she's going to get married. So it's the brachas that you didn't bring to the Kiddush, that's why you have to make the Kiddush. So, if you had a girl any time in the past, whenever, even if your little Madel is 14 or 16, or even if your Madel is 40 or 50, I want to give you a bracha for the birth of your girl. And when I give you a bracha in the Nusach, like it says in Hayyemye, Hayyemim says that although others don't do this, but by us, we learn from the Rabbeim that when a girl is born, we, we give a bracha, the Gadla, Lataira, also Lataira, Lachopa, Ulamaisim Taivim. We give a bracha also for Taira. So, never allow a Birkas Hedget. A blessing from an ordinary person to be considered worthless in your eyes. I'm about to give you a birkas hadjit, a bracha from an ordinary person, but I'm including myself in this bracha. We should have nachas from our daughters, and we should raise them.